0: Welcome to the Plutonomics Podcast with Laurie Cammie and Barnaby Levin. The word Plutonomics means the study of wealth. It's our mission to educate, to help clients think about their goals and how they might benefit from working with an advisor to achieve them. But more importantly, it's to make sure our listeners understand both the pros and cons of any issue so they can make informed decisions and increase the odds of finding the right answer for them. You see, it's not who's right or wrong, but knowing there are no disinterested parties or unbiased opinions, and that where you sit depends on where you stand. The challenge to making good decisions is to start by questioning one's assumptions and to break free of our prejudices because the truth usually lies somewhere in between. There are always two sides to every issue, both of which have merit. Last week, we spoke about inflation versus deflation, how for more than 70 years, the consumer price index rose an average of 3% per year, but over the last 10 has remained at or under 2. We've seen a decade of low interest rates and discussed the impact this has had on portfolio construction. And we invited our listeners to actually write down a 1 followed by 12 zeros So they could visually appreciate what a trillion dollars really looks like. This week's topic is about global investing.
1: When we think about global, or more particularly, international investing, we tend to think about which foreign country or company to gain some targeted amount of exposure outside the U.S. But so many companies have set up manufacturing, supply chains, and service centers all over the world that in a certain sense we could simply buy the S&P 500 and gain the exposure that way. Since over 40% of the sales are made overseas and the whole notion therefore of foreign versus domestic may be moot or irrelevant, at least when it comes to asset allocation. In other words, with so many companies selling their goods all over the world, their products have become global brands and it may be Better simply to invest in the best companies in those with the fastest growth rates or dominant market share in their industry. For example, no matter where they're located and the ultimate geographical distribution, it simply is what it is. What we do think about is the four P's, which stand for people, product, price, and performance in a bottoms up, investment approach, looking for companies who fulfill a given need and provide the best solution.
0: Years ago, I thought that having some minimum allocation to foreign companies was important in a portfolio, if only for the sake of diversification. In fact, in 2005, I wrote an article titled Foreign Exposure that explained why. One reason was valuation. Because foreign companies like Nestle, Sony, or CEMEX tended to trade cheaper than their American counterparts on a price-earnings or price-to-sales basis. And when looking for companies in a given sector or industry, it seemed counterintuitive to exclude two-thirds of the world's population and GDP from the equation. However, I don't think the valuation argument is valid any longer, or at least compelling enough to matter, because so many foreign companies have been less innovative and grown at slower rates they tend to be more bureaucratic and therefore less responsive to changing market conditions. And they tend to have higher costs due to lower productivity and indirect expenses like long-term pension liability. So for the time being, at least, I think they actually deserve that lower valuation. Also, in my 2002 article titled Creative Destruction, along with Tom Friedman in his book, The World is Flat, I described how globalization and the internet had changed the competitive landscape and how most of the natural barriers to entry had been removed, spelling the end of what Friedman called Fortress America. Again, perhaps that was true for a time, but now may no longer be so. This may be because of trade disputes like we had with Canada and Mexico or because of China's ongoing IP theft and onerous ownership rules or because of people like Margaret Vesager who's now the executive vice president of, and I quote, the European Commission for a Europe fit for the digital age. Huh. She has been taking some of our most successful companies to court for years to claw back tax breaks offered in good faith at the time by countries like Ireland to attract industry and investment. But even though Ireland is a member of the EU, she felt the benefits should have been shared more broadly. And the situation, of course, creates friction and risk to doing business together.
1: Yes. So, as Barnaby is implying, when investing outside the U.S., geopolitics are one of the risk factors to consider, whether it's due to adverse regulation, poor fiscal policy, and from time to time, political unrest. A second risk is currency risk, the value of that country's currency versus the dollar. On the other hand, there are those who tend to automatically have a home country bias and as a result may only invest in their own country by default and to their detriment because it limits choice. Sometimes it works to their advantage as it has in the past decade here in the U.S. because of our strong dollar, low interest rates, and free market capitalism. And until recently, declining corporate taxes and deregulation But in other decades, we have seen superior growth in Japan, for example, in the 80s, or in China for the first 10 years of the new millennium, as they opened their markets to new investment. In the case of Japan, their state-of-the-art manufacturing and focus on teamwork was the envy of everyone, from GE to Procter & Gamble, who tried to emulate it, and to people like William Deming, who wrote books. But ignoring them altogether would have had a material and negative impact on portfolio performance.
0: We both, for example, think it's important to have exposure to emerging markets in general because they have younger demographics and a growing middle class. They're earlier in their spending cycles, which are long term in nature and for the strides they've been making in education, both overall and relative to us. And finally, because of the flood of investment from everywhere else in the world, for everything from factories to infrastructure. From Brazil to Israel and India to Vietnam, these countries tend to have faster growth rates. And until recently, companies have been outsourcing much of their manufacturing there to lower costs. So over the next decade, I expect both Lori and I will continue to add exposure to emerging markets and to companies there through ETFs and ADRs. It's just that we'll go wherever we see the best opportunities, regardless of where they are. And we won't put the cart before the horse by basing our decision on a map.
1: Again, the question is, are we going to see a shift by investors once more overseas? And will U.S. companies continue to rebuild their manufacturing and supply chains here in spite of the threat of higher taxes? As usual, it will most likely be a combination of the two. But foreign companies are beginning to invest and build here as well again. Many of the world's leading companies who make some of the most iconic products we all buy and use every day, from clothing to cars, that are based overseas. So whether any of them are good investments at any given point in time, it depends. But because we're taking a global view, we just keep thinking about those four P's, whether we want to include exposure to a given best-in-class business, regardless, as we've said, of where they're based.
0: In the meantime, please offer us any feedback you have on what we said today. Or if you have questions, reach out to either Lori or me. And please join us next week when we'll be discussing bonds. And whether in today's low interest rate environment, they still have a place in your portfolio this is barnaby levin and laurie cammy for the plutonomics podcast signing off lk wealth and asset management and lck wealth are a group of investment professionals registered with hightower securities llc member finra and sipc and with hightower advisors llc a registered investment advisor with the sec Securities are offered through Hightower Securities LLC and advisory services through Hightower Advisors LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk and there is no guarantee that the process or investment opportunity to reference her in will be profitable past performance is not indicative of current or future performance, and any investment opportunity referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable, and any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. Either LK Wealth and Asset Management, LCK Wealth, or Hightower shall in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced and such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of LK Wealth and Asset Management and LCK Wealth and they do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates.